Welcome to Flawedcast, episode number 47, They Live, We Sleep. Flawedcast. Flawedcast! Get in the arena. What's up, Will Willie Will? All right, Jason, we are back. We only had minimal trouble this week getting our new episode out, so that... It's always nice when you have to spend your Friday mornings having to fight with social media platforms. Yeah, yeah the juggernaut of social media. But anyway, we want to so, thank... So, Willie. Yes, sir. Um, I know we have an absence today. You know, you want to address that right off the bat. Johnny is in a remote area of the country, and let's just say he's, he's being poked and prodded and... And, yeah, he's been... We think he's been captured by a UFO and taken to the spot. Well, he sent me a, a message via Morris code. I, I, I don't know. Really? Yeah. You're not sure what it, what it is? I couldn't tell you. I, I flunked out of the Boy Scouts. That's why I had to go to Indian Trail. Well, it's guys. probably good that you did because right now they got commercials on there. If you need some money, just call them up. And but some, anyway, some we, since Johnny is Area 51 somewhere, God only knows what's going on with him. But hope he's safe. Johnny, if you're not, remember, one up by land, two up by sea. Yeah, and, and I mean, we were looking for him. We just couldn't find him on the sonar. We couldn't, yeah. Shandy even went and looked for him. But nonetheless, we have been threatening this gentleman's presence for a while. And since Johnny's not here, we had to pull out the big guns. We're not talking about Jesus, although he is in our heart. We're talking about the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Carl Tuckerson. Well, thank you, guys. Yes. There's no place I would rather be than right here, right now, with the two of you. What an honor. Aw, look at that. That made my little dark, evil heart flutter. <laughs> my little dark, evil heart. <laughs> We're glad you're here. Glad to have you, man. And well, the scheduling, my agent, the yes. people surrounding me said that this was the hottest up-and-coming podcast, and I said, hey, this is where I want to be. We are yeah. We are humble that you're here. We're thankful. And if you like Carl, make sure that you let us know. Maybe we'll bribe him with, with some more coffee and donuts or something. <laughs> That's all it takes. It, you know, yeah. um, it was funny because I actually, Will Willie Will didn't let me know. He, you know, obviously, Will Willie Will is the producer oh, of Flawed Cast. He does a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. But uh, he just told me that I need to get a um, large coffee with cream. So that's what I did. I had no idea. I had no idea who was going to be here. I, I show up, and here's Carl. I was very excited. Good no. to have you. Thank you. Yes, thank you for being here, Carl. And uh, we got a lot of stuff for you today. We're going to get the preliminaries done in other ways that we just get into. Currently, we're on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Flawed Inc., Flawed Cast, FlawedInc.com, Flawed Cast, CLE. Uh, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are definitely doing well on Parlor and Gab, the free speech site. Flawed Inc., Flawed Cast, Flawed Cast, CLE. Make sure you subscribe. Please share. A lot of you guys have been sharing, and it's been very, very helpful. Sharing is caring. Honestly, it's how we're getting around the censorship. So thank you. And as our tradition, Carl is a longtime listener of the podcast. Yes. We, we do the Pledge of Allegiance. So would you like to do that with us? That would be my honor. Awesome. As always, hands over the heart. Pledge I pledge allegiance, allegiance to, to the, the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with, with liberty, liberty and justice for all. Boom. So, That's boom. a refreshing citation right there if it comes from the heart. You know it, it is. So we got a lot coming at you. There's going to be a lot of notes. Jason. <laughs> I have an announcement. This morning when I got the coffee, the cost of the coffee, 777. Ooh, well, is that right? Huh. Lucky number seven for each of us. Yeah. I mean, think about that. I'm going to go on a limb and say that this is ordained. Then. I'm telling you. <laughs> as soon, as, as, soon as I saw that, I was like, well, you know, Well, what's funny is this was something that came to me this last week and very concretely needed to be discussed, I felt like, because anybody who's a longtime listener knows, we really think about and pray about what God wants us to talk with you guys. And a couple of things have happened this week. You know, one of our buddies, Tilson, who joins us on Sunday nights for uh, cigars and shenanigans, he's like, man, you got to listen to this. And it was this movie was all about what we're going to be talking about. And then oddly enough, one of the fair and balanced three letter news network, for lack of a better term, blocked talking about one of these gentlemen that we will be discussing. Uh, Mr. Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House, try to bring up George Soros, Nazi collaborator and all around basic inspiration for every Bond villain there ever was. He's the foreboding name, the name that shall not be spoken, George Soros. But we're going to talk about him. We're going to talk about the idea of globalism, the idea of a new world order, the idea of of 
the fact that if you understand kind of what's going on, you know, we've come to this event horizon. We talk a lot about whether you call it a proxy war, revolutionary war, civil war. We're in the scenario where things are being heightened. Things are being escalated. And my concern, we've tried to de-escalate things. We've tried to explain things on a historical level, on a spiritual level. We're going to continue to do that. But looking at the idea of Stockholm Syndrome from a couple episodes ago, and then looking at these people carrying out these things, we have to realize that they're just the puppets on the end of the marionette string. You know what I think? I was just thinking a new song we could do. Maybe get Weird Al to do it. Blinded by the libs. (laughs) Instead of blinded by the light. I like that idea. Oh, my God. I mean, that's what's going on. Johnny would crack him up. That's a good idea. I mean, they're they're just Well, if you could get him back from the alien force, maybe he can work on that next week. We've got commandos in place to hopefully be able to do it. I say give them another few days and they'll probably throw them out of the UFO and get rid of them. They probably will. Well, Carl, we we should say Carl and Johnny are um, good friends. So the idea of They Live, We Sleep. Uh, I'm a huge John Carpenter fan. He's one of my favorite directors. He's directed Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China, The Thing. But one of my favorite movies of his, and it's so applicable, and anybody who understands anything in science fiction understands that good science fiction can transcend time. It can transcend the era that it was initially introduced, and it can give a really powerful and socio-political message. Now, if you've ever seen They Live, and we've referred to it, the idea of They Live, We Sleep is the tagline for that movie, and it's with Roddy Piper. It's basically about a global cabal of aliens that have been subversively and criminally interjecting their agenda into the world through media, through legislation, through... Wait, I thought you said this was a science fiction movie. It is. (laughs) Sure sounds like... Sounds a little bit like the present, doesn't it? (laughs) Right, right. Yes, and this movie was made in 1988, so They Live, We Sleep, but we're... It would have been funnier if it was made in 1984, but... I think it was written in 1984. That, that might have been. As soon as he finished his book. We can't get Orwell confused with Carpenter, the prophets of science fiction. Nonetheless, we're going to try to talk about the idea of globalism, the marionettes pulling the strings, and where this has started, where this is coming from. We're talking about Soros. We've talked about the Rothschilds before, the Rockefellers, the Morgans. Now you can use the Gates, the Clintons, the Zuckerberg, so on and so forth. So what we're going to do to start, because I know this sounds so fantasiful, you know, like literally when you talk about George Soros, if you've never heard of the guy before, and I make a comparison to every single James Bond villain, and I mean the Sean Connery Bond and the one guy, the gay Bond, I forgot his name, and then the one Bond in the 80s and the Pierce Brosnan and then Daniel Gregg, like every single Bond villain is literally based on this guy. We're talking global domination, like evil henchmen. It's, it's, it's hilarious, but there has to be a root and there has to be a genesis of everything. So we're going to try to get into this. I'm just going to tell you this now. There's a lot of notes. I got this information literally from these organizations' websites. I copy and paste it from their about page. You plagiarized? No, I didn't Biden. <laughs> I did. You Bidened? I, I didn't Biden. I didn't use, you know, what are, what are they saying? Um, sources. Oh, just, sources tell me. Yeah, sources, sources tell close, me. Or, I'm sorry. It's people, undisclosed. People undisclosed. Close, people, yeah. Source close to the, what do they call it? Source close to the situation. Oh, resource close to the, yeah, I yeah, but I didn't do any of that. I literally went right to the website of these. People. Unbelievable! You researched. I researched my. my I researched my patootie off this episode. So as far as you know, this is factual data. As far as I know, not like the other stuff that we post that we just got a flag about on uh, Instagram for. There's a lot of information. You got to know the basics, but more importantly, you got to understand the timeline. There's a couple things to take a note of. First and foremost, we're talking about global power insertion in organizations in several different fields. The one that's probably runs through all these is monetary. Right. You know, whoever pulls the purse strings has a lot of sway, which is why Soros is such a powerful figure. Get out of here. You know, we're talking about political, we're talking about health. Health is a big thing that these organizations get into. Media, we're going to talk about the six largest media organizations right now, which at least four of them have verifiable ties back to China. China. uh, Which we are in a proxy war with. And then, you know, trade. So it's all encompassing. When you listen to what we're going to try to tell you, and then we go into the scripture, you can see that there's a pattern that mirrors what has happened, what is happening, and then where we're going to go. That being said, I'm on it. The years are significant in terms of globally what happened. That is true. But I think you're going to see when these were created, there were major events. Chime in on everything you want. Well, Carl is an expert in this area. I understand. He really is. So it's, it was the blessing of Yeshua that allowed him to be here today. And John being probed by aliens. So... (laughs) 
Mr. Johnny. All right. U.S. Federal Reserve System, also known as the Federal Reserve, or just simply the Fed. This was established December 23rd, 1913, with the enactment of the Federal Reserve Act. Financial panics, particularly the Panic of 1907, led to the desire for central control of the monetary system in order to alleviate financial crisis. Over the years, events such as the Great Depression in the 30s and the Great Recession during the 2000s have led to the expansion of the role and responsibility of the Federal Reserve System. U.S. Congress established three key objectives for monetary policy in the Fed, maximizing employment, stabilizing prices, and moderating long-term interest rates. The first two objectives are sometimes referred to as the Federal Reserve's dual mandate. Its duties have expanded over the years and currently also include supervising and regulating banks, maintaining the stability of the financial system, and providing financial services to depository institutions. The U.S. government and foreign official institutions. The Fed also conducts research into the economy and provides numerous publications such as the Beige Book and the Fred Database. Did you say depository or suppository? Because you usually end up taking it. Up. Yeah. In the interest well, I got one question for you. Oh, go ahead. The Federal Reserve. I mean, that sounds very official and very, no. very governmental. It does, doesn't it? But it, it isn't. Oh, you're telling me it's no, not a government institution? No, sir, it's not. It is not. This is a private it is. So private, our country is supported by private company? It's not supported, I would say. I, more controlled? Controlled, mandated. I think hood, the word that we're looking for, <laughs> they're ruling us. It's ruled by the Federal Reserve. Yeah. Those, That's th- yeah. what they do. Read those three things. Their primary functions. Maximizing employment, stabilizing prices, and moderating long-term interest rates. And what that really means is, one word, it's controlling. Right. They can substitute what they do the word that they specifically and purposely left out is control. It is controlling. And this isn't government. That's a, that's the thing that just, I don't think a lot of people realize. You know, I worked at a bank for many years. You go into and you see, that our money is protected by the Federal Reserve. <laughs> that's like saying, hey, Jason, I'm going to give you my wallet. Just make sure that you steward everything for me. I trust well, you. Well, how, how, who decides when money gets printed? The Fed. What? So it's not like you giving me your wallet. It's like you give me a printing machine that prints money to go in your wallet. Well, what, not just my wallet because cash isn't, you know, we're, we can just hope that cash gets removed and that some genius, some mad evil genius like we were talking about can just come up with some kind of chip or something that we can just have with us all the time, even if we forget our wallet and yeah. money will become digital and you don't have to, you know, so I mean, it would be cool if it was on a card, but it'd even be better if it was implanted in our forearms. Well, yeah. you know, Boy, so I really I, hope that happens so my identity can't be stolen since it's locked in my body. Right? Well, Absolutely. You know. I mean, it's a good idea. We should uh, definitely find someone and get this news out there and see if we can get one of these, you know, mega rich people to help us so that they can take it and control. Oh, oh wait, what? Where's this all leading? Right. Sorry, yeah. sorry. So interesting. Carl made an observation about the times, 1913. Now, what happened between 1913 and the next establishment is something that we call the war, the end all wars, World War One. Right. Contrary to what most, I'm going to just leave a blueprint. But, well, okay. I'm going to I'm going to just leave this here. Contrary to what a lot of historians believe, it was not the assassination of Franz Ferdinand that actually caused. World War One. That's what I read in my history book, Bill. Yeah, wasn't it? What was his name again? Franz Ferdinand. But like Duke Franz Ferdinand. Yeah, he, he was, was a Duke. Like Duke's a hazard. Duke. Duke. Duke of Hazard. No, they're racist. Even though they're just the good old boys. Never mean no harm. Well, that good old boys is kind of racist, too. They only say that in the South, and we know what the South stands for. It's all racist. Actually, anyone who lives past Columbus, Ohio, like below that, you are racist. Doesn't the South stand for Democrats? So when, when was the war, war to end all wars? Bill? 1917. 1917. World so, war one. so the Fed was established in 1913. Correct. WW1, 1917. And then this organization, the, and the organization that follows, go ahead and get into that. Go ahead and rip it, rip it. League of Nations, 1920. League of Nations, an organization for international cooperation established on January 10th, 1920 at the initiative of the victorious Allied Powers at the end of World War One, The demand was great for this, and within a few weeks after opening of the Paris Peace Conference in January 1919, unanimous agreement had been reached on the text of the Covenant 
of the League of Nations. It was formally disbanded mm. in April 19th, 1946. Its powers and functions had been transferred. Whoop, we're going to get to that. Oh, you don't want to go that far. Well, put a comma, not a period. All right. You're we're stopping at third base. We're stopping at there third base. Yeah. The Royal Institute of International Affairs. A.K.A. Chatham House. Chatham House. All right. So this is Paris 1919. Lionel Curtis, a British diplomat championed a vision that was to alter the course of international politics. Curtis's idea was for an organization whose purpose would be to foster mutual understanding of and between nations through debate, dialogue, and independent analysis. Bodies already existed for the advancement of science, medicine, and arts. Out of this idea, two organizations were born. In London, the British Institute of International Affairs, later to be known as Chatham House, and in New York, the Council of Foreign Relations. Robert Cecil, British conservative politician and an architect of the League of Nations, chaired the inaugural meeting on the evening of July 5th, 1920, at the Royal Society of Arts in the Strand, in central London. As a world-leading policy institute or mission, it is to help governments and societies build a sustainable, secure, prosperous, and just world. We deliver our mission through dialogue, engaging governments, the private sector, civil society, and our membership on our members in open debates and private discussions on the major issues issues in world politics. Research. Rigorous analysis of critical global, regional, and country-specific challenges and opportunities. And leadership. Training the next generation of policy influencers to deepen their knowledge of the critical political issues and to develop their analytical and problem-solving skills. Why this is so important is because if you look at everything, it's very incestual. And it's leading us to this place where we're at now, but we're going to eventually get into. Now, it's important to take note of of that particular organization like in regards to Chatham House, that didn't necessarily deal with the money or policies or politics like the Fed and League of Foreign Nations. That also delved into research, medicine, health, things like that. So now we're starting to it's see... It's weird because it seems like some of the same people are involved in all of them. Yeah, just from again, that it's, little bit of reading. It's very incestual. And this is another one of these branches or roots, if you will. Actually, it's probably more of an accurate. Go ahead and get to the next one. Council on Foreign Relations. 1921. CFR, or Council of Foreign Relations, is a U.S. nonprofit think tank specializing in U.S. foreign policy and international affairs. CFR has published the bi-monthly journal Foreign Affairs since 1922 and runs the David Rockefeller Study Program, which influences foreign policy by making recommendations to the presidential administration and diplomatic community, testifying before Congress, interacting with the media, and publishing on foreign policy issues. The direct heir to their academic think tank called the inquiry that was prepared by Woodrow Wilson. Once again, the Paris Peace Conference. We're going to be doing this a lot. We're kind of coming back around. Woodrow, Full circle. Woodrow Wilson, by the way, was one of the most wonderfully delightful racist Democrat that the White House ever known. Delightfully. Birth of a nation. Look that up. Go ahead. All right. So it's nonpartisan and private. It's called an incubator of ideas. You know why? Because they want to tell us what to think, not how to think. I think you're right. Carl. Something that no one really talks about is we know what they do based on what they tell us. And that's important. I think what's also important is the time frame of which these, and I call this wave one of the plan of one world government, is in history, the idea of international unity would have never went over because each country was isolated in their operation and in the need to operate. So the mentality is never waste a good disaster, okay? When you're looking to change... That's changed, though, hasn't it? create new disasters. Uh, 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 that's good. And then not waste it. And so... Well, never never let a good crisis go to waste. I like how yes. you said the first wave. The newer would never let a good crisis go to waste. Right. Which I believe Rahm Emanuel is famous for saying. Yeah, well, he's the guy that came from behind the curtain as a puppet master and publicly said it. Uh, again, that ties to the cockiness and arrogance of humanity and where we are now, with right. humanity being so arrogant to come out and say things. But the reality is that historical time created after the 1917 war made the world ready to begin 
to receive the unification because of the devastation that took place. It's almost as if you're saying there were man-made financial, political, military, and health uh, situations, once again, going back to the assassination of Franz Ferdinand, to bring about the need of these things. For example, if I knew someone that was a painter and they come and hung out at my house and made all the paint in my house look like crap and they said, I have this organization that's going to come and help you fix this. Well, I wouldn't have had to had that organization. You know what's crazy? You not crap the is that's a great marketing strategy. I have never thought of it because my brain doesn't work that way, but I'm going to go create work for myself in the evening. In, in all, the shadows. In the shadows. Well, you know, it's a dangerous thing. I've said this before. You know, you stare into the abyss long enough, you start <laughs> to become the abyss. Carl, that's a really good point. And I'm glad that you're pointing this out because if people aren't already beginning to notice a thread just in the, the handful of organizations that we're talking about, if they're not beginning to see 1913, 1917 was World War One, 1919, this, the seeds of this, 1920, 21, so on and so forth. Once again, it's all incestual. It's all interwoven. Same type people, i.e. Rockefellers, the Morgans, Rothschilds. Well, well sometimes I interject, and I think this is a good time, possibly, as we're kicking this thing off and putting that the dates together and everything is because I think some people might be listening and being like, oh, so you're telling me in the early 1900s, this group of people got together and foreseen what it's going to be like in 2020 and how this should be done. And how I kind of want to explain it is this, as a business coach, you know, I work with businesses and every year we make a business plan and we're always in the first year of a three-year plan. So we build a new three-year plan every year. So it evolves is what I'm saying. It's, it's not sure. like a group of people got together and foreseen, but as, like you said, you get the same people together you get the crisis that they don't want to waste, they evolve and, you know, and it expands the ideas and the drive for power expands, the reach expands. Well, you know, the interesting because, and I hope this isn't boring. Some people don't like history, but it's important that we discuss these things. And That's how we got here. Right. But, and we talked about this before with when Napoleon was fighting the British and how the Rothschilds came into being the power. 1815, you know, once Napoleon fell, the Rothschilds, you know, there's all kinds of intelligence agencies. It doesn't necessarily have to be governmental. There's uh, this is messed up. Yeah, story, there's bro. private intelligence agencies and the Rothschilds, powerful British family. They had intelligence watching the fall of Napoleon. They reported back literally a day before the news of what really happened got back. So what happened was, is the Rothschilds were able to use the knowledge or use the intelligence that they gathered, that they created to skew the markets. The market in England went tits up. They went in, bought everything, pennies on the dollar. When the news came back, the markets inverted themselves instantly overnight, the Rothschilds became one of the most powerful, influential, wealthiest. and wealthiest families in the world, which is why they've had a part, a subversive part in all this ever since then. You know, same thing about that time, you know, I, I just watched a documentary about the Illuminati, like the real Illuminati, not the Jay-Z, you know, whatever. Weinsharp was the gentleman's name. And a lot of these things got their germination during this same time. So you're talking a business, which is isolated, which is local, generally speaking, but we're talking about global dominance which is a far more sinister and convoluted and complicated thing that needs For centuries. Sure. I, I'm Right, it needs the time. But what I'm trying to say is, so you're always in the first year, three-year plan, right? But you have a long-term goal when you go into business. You have a goal of, I'm going to sell in 10 years, or I'm going to turn over to my kids, or I'm going to expand, whatever it may be. You don't work on that goal. You work on the short-term pieces, right? But every year, you know, you get a little closer. And so all I'm saying is, this wasn't like this. there was a master plan hatched, and that, <clears throat> that master plan, I mean, there was a master plan hatched, but the master plan has evolved well, the master plan started the day after Easter Sunday. That's right. Let's go ahead and continue. It's important that we connect the dots as we go. Please, I know there's a lot of information. We're trying to give you concise little snippets. You know, it's like when you go to like a beer or wine tasting, there's like thousands of options and you want to try everything, but you got to pace yourself. You can't just sit there and guzzle at one thing because you're going to miss everything. The CFR is still in operation today and you hear that in the news. So it's important to have an understanding of who they are, what they did and when they started and then the next thing that you hear about is the IMF, International Monetary, Monetary Fund. Fund. And you're not going to believe this. I literally got all of this information from the About section of these organizations' website. This information is hidden in plain sight. Sorry. You're fine. International Monetary Fund, 1944. Gee, a specific time period again. What events happened? Would we have another world war? Not just another world war, but another war that had huge 
huge geopolitical, financial, and uh, military implications. Okay, so the IMF, its international organization headquartered in Washington, D.C., consisting of 189 countries working to foster global monetary cooperation, secure financial stability, facilitate international trade, promote high employment and sustainable economic growth, and reduce poverty around the world by periodically depending on the World Bank for its resources. So basically, you know, Fed is national for us. The IMF is like the international Fed. Like, I don't know if you picked up what Jason just read there. It's almost the same verbiage in regards to the Federal Reserve. The only difference was the Federal Reserve is national. The IMF is international. So it's funded by contributions from countries to a pool through a quota system from which countries experiencing balance of payment problems can borrow money. As of 2016, the fund had about $667 billion U.S. The majority of the countries that contribute, if you will, or that are part of that, that right there is more than the GDP of most those countries put together. Right. Just think about that. I wonder if I can get a debit card. <laughs> I don't know. I, you, they, they I have promise it. I wouldn't miss the mon I take. Uh, <laughs> so I could be rich and powerful. It's going to take money. Whole lot of spending money. All right, so that leads us from yes. Now this this is the granddaddy. If what we're talking about are the roots, this is the main trunk. The United Nations. Carl, when was the United Nations uh, started? I believe 1945. 1945. That seems like a year yeah. after the IMF, and still we're still in war. Well, you know what? There's some things happening. There's a lot going on that year. It was a very good year. Yeah, right. So currently the United. <laughs> Nations made up of 193 member states. The mission and work of the United Nations are guided by the purpose and principles contained in its founding charter. The United Nations were coined by U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt. I don't think that they had time to add in 194. The nation of Chaz joined this past year, if I'm not mistaken. So chop, but hasn't chopped? Didn't they? Um, didn't they chop it? Didn't it get chopped? So they were officially a member for 20 days, maybe. Well, it still counts. 194. Nice. 194. Thank you, absolutely. You want to get in these articles? It's important to spend a little more time on the UN because it's something that we hear every single day. Wait, wait. Oh, it's... is that United Nations stands for UN? Affirmative. Or UN stands for United Nations. Potato, potato. That's what they mean when they say the UN? This is uh, what we're talking about? Un, correct. The, the un. un. <laughs> yeah. Like who? It's un. Today, the un unleashed a new cloud. <laughs> it's the, the un organization. The un. <laughs> So here's the charter the or purposes and principles of the UN. Article 1, the purposes of the UN are to maintain international peace and security and to that end to take effective collective measures for the prevention and removal of threats to the peace and for the suppression of acts of aggression or other breaches of the peace and to bring about by peaceful means and in conformity with the principles of justice and international law adjustment or settlement of international disputes or situations which might lead to a breach of the peace. I have a question. Please, Carl. What is the success rate of what their goals are in protecting Israel from other Middle Eastern countries? Have they been, I'm not certain, but have they been effective in doing that? I can say that in the last three and a half, four years, there's been one person who I think of who has, but this person is doing his damnedest to get us out of this organization. So when I answer that question, I would say that organization in and of itself has not been too, too successful. But the person that I'm referring to has just even in the last week been extremely successful. Yes, he has. Interesting. Did we not also move something to Jerusalem in the last year that had been promised by several other presidents and they never fulfilled that? Well, we did. Thank you, Carl, for bringing this up. This is important. We're talking about eschatology and the idea of Israel becoming a nation, but more succinctly, Jerusalem becoming the capital of Israel. Based on the description of the UN's responsibilities, I would say within the last month, they promoted their success in the treaty that was signed uh, with Israel and other Middle Eastern countries. Did they call a summit to celebrate? Because based on their description of their responsibilities on their website that UN put there for us, they have been extremely successful within the last month specifically in a monumental peace deal to achieve the goals of UN. So I missed the summit, correct? No, you didn't. It was Trump, not the UN. That is spearheading oh. this. Wait, wait, wait a minute. That is just a distraction, guys. All right. So this is going to be an interesting one. The World Bank, 1946. When, so once real, again, real quick, once real again, quick, uncanny just, in the year. Let's recap. International Monetary Fund, 44. United Nations, 45. And the World Bank, 46. Coincidence? The World Bank 
came into formal existence on December 27, 1946, following international ratification of the Bretton Woods Agreement, which emerged from the United Nations Monetary and Financial Conference in July of 44. You know what? All of these places, all these uh, organizations were created in either December or January. Do you notice that? I wonder why that is. Anyway, um, the World Bank Group is a family of five international organizations. What? A family of five international organizations that make leveraged loans to developing countries. I'm telling you, reading through is this, this the, isn't the mob at the all. The Gambino, the Acosto, <laughs> the Lestorio. Oh gosh. <laughs> it's the largest and most well-known they, development they, bank in the make, world. They're going to give Africa fair the cameras in. Are you sure Lucky, Lucky Luciano wasn't, like, <laughs> reincarnated? Yeah, no, this is actually... They literally... Now we know why the FBI monitored the mob so much. They were given info yeah. back so they could figure out how to make how to do that worldwide uh, oh did i say something the bank is in washington dc in the united states it provided around 61 billion dollars in loans and assistance to developing and transition countries in the 2014 fiscal year the bank's stated mission is to achieve the twin goals of ending extreme poverty and building shared prosperity total lending as of 2015, for the last 10 years through development policy financing, was approximately $117 billion. That's with a B. As I was thinking back through these three organizations that we just talked about, if we go back to International Monetary Fund, which was started up in 44, they actually depend on the World Bank for resources. It's a funnel system. But what's funny is, so who created the World Bank? Where'd the idea come from? It's almost like they said, you know what, let's create our own bank. Well, the seeds of those effect. Right. No, right. It, it all goes back. I'm just saying that there's the Fed and then they're like, okay, how can we control more? Well, effectively, it's money laundering on a global scale. Well, money laundering and extortion. extortion. I mean, and that's what the mob does. So, right. right? And, they're loan sharks and extortionists. <laughs> they cover it up by uh, having garbage businesses. Forget about it. Um, yeah. And once again, we're all, we're talking about the span of three years that these four organizations were created. We still hear about it on a daily basis. Get into this next one. Who? The world. <laughs> World Health Organization, 1948. The World Health Organization, or WHO, is a specialized agency of the United Nations responsible for international public health. They're doing a heck of a job. I got to give them kudos and on what, their success. And what they're setting out to do, yeah, they're really good. I will say this. One thing they're really good at is numbers and accurately defining you know, numbers. Well, and, they have the greatest computer models known to man with their projections. For sure. I mean, it's always accurate. And it's funny because whatever they say, seeing how they're an agency the United Nations, then all of a sudden they have the strings of that country. Sort of like if there was a, let's say, a world pandemic. No, that'll never happen. Well, I'll tell you what, one of the best things Trump ever did was get us out of this evil cabal. This, I mean, and I keep using that word cabal. I mean, that's really the most accurate, you know, crime organization. This is just bad, bad news. So if we go all the way back to the beginning, Willie, all the way back to the beginning, Mr. Carl. With the League of Nations? No, no, all the way back. All the way back before we started reading about even the Federal like Reserve System. in the beginning God created? No, like this beginning. So they control, now we're 1948, they control economics, health. policy, the trade, and now yes. they've taken over. By 1948, they have the health. And what we mean by this is they have complete control now to say this is what we're going to do and this is how it's going to go down. Do you know who the brainchild originally of UN was? George Washington? No. Thomas Jefferson? No. One more guess. You got this. It's on my tongue. Carmen Sandiego. No. All right, Mr. Adolf Hitler. You got to be kidding me. I poop you not. No, that's not a fact. It is. A Did f- you read that somewhere? Like yeah. a communist manifesto or something? Well, or? I, Do you have sources close to the situation? <laughs> yeah, I have sources close to the uh, the situation that is verifying that. But yeah, the Third Reich's ultimate goal was world domination. He wasn't able to complete that. He so certainly tried. He certainly tried. But what we see now is effectively the winners, someone would call them the allies, picked up the pieces of a broken world and decided we can't let this ever happen again. So we, in loving, kind-hearted, unmalice and hard people, decided to create these all-encompassing terrain... Oh, sorry. No, I'm sorry. Uh, these all-encompassing benevolent organizations to monitor every single aspect of human life. So what you're trying to say is the group got together and said, hey, that was a good idea what he was doing, but what a moron the way he did it. 
We can do it way better than that. Which kind of reminds me of the movie American Gangster, if you've ever seen it. Who was the uh, guy who died? The... Is that the movie with Denzel? Yeah. I Frank, love that movie. Frank Lucas. Oh, no. uh, uh, he was his... Frank. Frank's the driver yeah. for this mobster, right? And very close to him, the mobster dies, and he's like, I'm taking over his business. Not only taking over his business, I can do this better. Because he had a crisis called the Vietnam War, so he had access to the best drugs around, and he took advantage, but he did it smart. He stayed behind the scenes. He didn't let no one was there. Where, like, his counterpart, Nicky Barnes, was, you know, he's on the cover of New York Magazine in the 70s. Right. It was a complete opposite. Right. And they couldn't even find this guy to hiding in plain sight. I mean, this is so gangster, it's not even funny. Okay, so now we're starting to see, once again, these are all... All these things are good for us. Without all these things, like, I don't even know how the United States became the United States without all these organizations to help it. And to help us write our constitution, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I wonder why all these people want everything torn down right now in the United States. Well, as Carl mentioned earlier this about the, full the Fed, the League of Nations, you know, Chatham House, so it's kind of like the first wave. I would call this the second wave. All right. So I would say the second wave built upon and corrected the mistakes of the first wave. We have the organization. Now we're starting to get into how it maneuvers. Go ahead. Now, you know what, Carl? This is the Bohemian Grove. Bilderberg. Bilderberg. 1954. That is correct. Own it. Now, this organization to me is the launching of the universal implementation of trial and error that began in the League of Nations. That's how I view this as I've studied it. And that is, and listen to who is involved in this group. Their agenda, of course, is to prevent another war. That's their stated, publicized proclamation. Which they're good at, because we've only had, we've (laughs) only been at war my kid's entire life, and most, hell, we've been at war most of our life, we just don't know about it. Right. Right. And so this is the first time that I have seen, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you will, the public acknowledgement of the involvement of people, industries. Number one, an industry, business is involved. Number two, finance. Of course, we already saw through the World Bank and other Federal Reserve and whatever, but this is the public proclamation, the first time that we have seen the arrogance and the conceit and the boldness to come out and publicly identify not anymore behind the curtain, but for everyone to know who is involved. It is finance, and this is the key, academia and media. Now, when you involved academia, you had the first time of public recognition of brainwashing. Before that, it was happening, but not on a big scale. Subversively. Subversively. And what happens is that they say, let's just kick this out there, and let's make it public, and let's see if they'll buy in, since they've bought into everything else. So they publicly state that we're going to bring academia into this group, and we're also going to bring media. Media being the vehicle for us to exponentially speed up our goal, our ultimate goal, because evil is very patient. It doesn't get in a hurry. And at this point, things had been done over decades. And now what they really needed was the superhighway. They needed something quick and fast. And so they bring it in publicly and they say, we're going to include academia and we're going to now publicly include media into the group. And what does this group do? They meet and they keep the meeting notes secret. They do not divulge. But they release the list of attendees. Yeah. So when once again, if you listen to the show at all, you know I love Alex Jones. One of the things that really put him on the map is sneaking into Bilderberg. There's a documentary, it was on YouTube, that he put out years ago. It talks about the going-ons there, but the list of people that annually attend this... Yeah, well, and we didn't get to that part. Well, go ahead. Yeah, go read the... Um, re- so, to give you a background... I, I'm not even kidding you. You, I just Googled Bilderberg Group. They have a website. I'm just... So to give you some background on it, the Bilderberg meeting is an annual conference that was established in 1954. Any importance? in the mid-50s? The Korean War. Hmm, interesting. Another war. To foster dialogue between Europe and North America, the group's agenda originally to prevent another world war is now defined as bolstering a consensus around free market. And by the way, every one of these organizations' stated purpose is to thwart another world war. 
Of course, it touches everyone, right? It's just like well, now they could switch that to, you know, we're here to cure cancer and everyone would be like, oh, okay. Well, they also go a step further between not just stopping war, but establishing and sustaining peace as one of their goals. Oh, they're no, doing a great job. There's a lot of peace. So participants include political leaders, experts from industry, finance, academia, which you were talking about already, and it numbers between 120 and 150 attendees. And, you know, this is a conspiracy theorist haven. Sacrificial this, gay orgy this. You know, I don't know. I can't really speak to that. But what I can speak to is the list of people there. I mean, I wouldn't trust them as far as I could throw them. We're talking the likes of every president that's still alive that I'm not aware that our current commander in chief is gone. The Zuckerberg types, the Oprah Winfrey types, the royal family types, the kind that would fraternize with Epstein. And it's literally a list of the who's who's of if Soros is the object of every major Bond villain, these are the side kick underlings that the guys that are there right next to him. These are people I don't believe have noble intentions. The most noblest intention I believe that I can ascribe to them is that they're self-serving. We're starting to weave this tapestry, starting to pull these things together because, you know, it's easy to look at, oh, these alphabet organizations and it's their expressed goal to just have a blanket group with no faces attached. Now we are putting flesh on the bones with the Bilderberg group. Okay. And this is important. It was so secretive until Alex Jones crashed it. And now, since he's come out and done that, it's like a big thing. Oh, who's attending this year's Oscars? Who's going to this year's Grammys? Who's going to this year's Bilderberg? The cult of personality that surrounds this is astounding to me that they've been able to flip this. Anything to add, Mr. Uh, well, again, it's a progression of, from what I see, arrogance and conceit that no longer do we have to hide what is happening. We will literally put it in their face. And the thing that blows my mind is that the people accept Generally speaking, it isn't the lack of knowledge, it's the lack of caring. And apathy. Apathy is that they don't care. And you can tell them the importance of something and show them the proof of something. And when you show them and they see it, they will simply say, well, I don't care. And that, to me, is probably the biggest concern because as long as you have people that care, you have hope. Obviously, you listen to our podcast because you now know our struggle. Like The reason we go so in-depth into the history and the background of these things is so we can lay a foundation that this isn't, once again, Bohemian Grove. It's a conspiracy theorist haven. Oh, you're nuts. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, there is verifiable proof that chicanery goes on. And like you said, oh, we've been caught. Let's just come out with it. Come out of the closet. in sight again. So let's kind of hit these next real quick. Okay. NATO 1949 North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Once again, you hear about these guys all the time. Intergovernmental military alliance between 30 North American and European countries. It implements the North Atlantic Treaty that was signed April 4, 1949. NATO constitutes a system of collective defense whereby its independent member states agree to mutual defense in response to the attack by any external party. So you always hear the un in connection with NATO. So NATO is the strong arm of the un, if you will. I like how it says there, basically, hey, if you're outside of our group, you're not down with us, we're going to kick your tush. We're going to make some rules that say we can. Go ahead and skip to the next one. The Club of Rome. Now this is always in connection, at least in ideology, to Bilderberg. I always look at these two the same. So this was founded in 68 in Rome, Italy. The Club of Rome consists of current and former heads of state, UN administrators, high-level politicians and government officials, diplomats, scientists, economists, and business leaders from around the globe. It stimulated considerable public attention in 1972 with the first report of the Club of Rome, The Limits to Growth. Since 1 July 2008, the organization has been based in Switzerland. Interestingly enough, it started in Rome. It started in Italy. And what other global organization is located near there? The Catholic Church? Forget about it. Ding, 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 ding. Why is that important? Look up the history of the Jesuits. I'm going to just leave that there. The new Pope is a Jesuit, by the way. All right. Trilateral Commission, 1973. Trilateral Commission is a non-governmental, non-partisan discussion group founded by David Rockefeller to foster closer cooperation between Japan, Western Europe, and North America. Don't you just love how these non all non-governmental groups have their hand in our cookie jar in effect every part of the governmental aspect of our existence yeah i mean the trilateral commission was formed by private citizens of japan north america 
and North American nations and Western European nations. So the Rockefellers to talk about economic dialogue. So it's just another private club that is protected this time by the nations. I, you know, when you just look at America, how long is it since America has been for the people by the people? July 4th, 1776. <laughs> right? Yeah. So sad, man. All right. European Union, 1993, the EU International Organization compromising 27 European countries and governing common economic, social, and security policies. Originally confined to Western Europe, the EU undertook a robust expansion into Central and Eastern Europe in the early 21st century. The EU's members are Austria, Belgium, Bulgaria, Croatia, Cyprus, Czech Republic, Denmark, Estonia, Finland, France, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Ireland, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Malta, Netherlands, Poland, Portugal, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia, Spain, Sweden. The United Kingdom, which had been a founding member of the EU, left the organization in 2020. The irony of this is, is that you don't join, you just are. And the funny thing, you know, Brexit, the British people, you know, we don't want to be a part of this anymore. And it took them four years to get out. Their election to leave the EU was in 2016. And just this year, they finally got a chance to leave. Nigel Farage is the one who spearheaded that movement. And they just now got to leave. So they had to vote out of an organization that they never voted into like all these other countries. But I would say it's a more localized idea of what the UN was, which once again, Hitlerian kind of a seed. But the U is just a group, but they oversee everything. Economic, social, security, all this stuff. And it's like the mafia. You get in, you don't get out. Right. Alright, next. World Trade Organization or the WTO. 1995. Intergovernmental organization that is concerned with the regulation of international trade between nations the WTO officially commenced, funny enough, in January of 1995 under the Marrakesh Agreement, signed by 123 nations on April 15, 1994, replacing the General Agreements on Tariffs and Trade, or GATT, which commenced in 48. It is the largest international economic organization in the world. It deals with regulation of trade and goods, services, and intellectual property between participating countries by providing a framework for negotiating trade agreements and a dispute resolution process aimed at enforcing participants' adherence to the WTO agreements, which are signed by representatives of member governments. By the way, it's interesting. That was established in 1995. When was Operation Desert Storm? That was 91, 92, 93. Just putting that out there. Just putting it out there. Another coincidence. A lot of coincidences. Security and Prosperity Partnership of North America, 2005. The Security and Prosperity Partnership of North America, also known as the... Nah, just kidding. I made that up. The SPP is a trilateral effort to increase security and enhance prosperity among the United States, Canada, and Mexico through greater cooperation and information sharing. It was established in 05, and key priorities of the initiative are established by the leaders of these countries annually. The Department of Commerce and Homeland Departments of State support the coordination of some initiative activities. Okay, 2005. Wasn't there a war that we were in that started, say, September 11, 2001? Yeah, we, well, since we've been at war since right. September 11, 2001. But, I yes. mean, there was an event. This last one is unbelievable, and there's talks about United Nations, UN, the UN, having soldiers, having a presence on American soil operating as if they were another arm of a government, uh, an, an American governmental organization. And I've had this discussion with a lot of people and they think I'm full of it. This right here is vital for us to understand that. You can think I'm full of it. That's fine. And I am in a lot of ways. But this next thing signed under President Obama, Barry Santorum, he and his husband, Big Mike, put this into place. This is one of the last things he did as president. Go ahead and read this. If you believe in the sovereignty of nations, this should scare the living H-E double hockey sticks out of you. Strong Cities Initiative 2015 launched at the United Nations General Assembly in September of 2015. ISD's Strong Cities Network is the first ever global network of mayors, policymakers, and practitioners united in building social cohesion and community resilience to counter violent extremism in all its forms. The SCN compromises more than 100 member cities from every major global region, each with specific lessons, practice, or challenges surrounding violent extremism. It serves as a platform for communities, CVE professionals, and local political leaders to connect with their counterparts around the world to learn from one another's experience to inform and develop their own local practice. The UN is getting into community 
communities, mayors, policymakers, practitioners in local cities to counter extremism of all forms. Extremism of all forms, that's their quote. Why is the UN engaging in this kind of thing on a local level? I have a question. Ask away. Why is the United States concerned about countries so far away and what happens in their city when they're not concerned with what happens in the cities of their own country with their tax-paying citizens that when they pay that taxes, part of what they're granted is protection from crime attacks, protection from murder, although none, all can't be stopped. But why do we not focus in this country on our cities with our mayors to provide the protections for our citizens? And why do we focus on Uganda's cities and the protection for them or Ethiopia's cities and the protection for them when we can't protect the citizens in our own cities? I've got an answer for you. Thank you. I've got an answer for you. It's pretty straight up. There's a movie, science fiction movie out there that explains it all, where humans are farmed as energy. What movie is this? Matrix. Solent Green. Farmed as energy, right? That's all we are as United States citizens. We're farmed to uh, fund all this shit. That makes sense to me. You know what I'm saying? The answer to... It's a serious... It's a question that is... It's it's ridiculous that you have to ask that question. You know what I'm saying? Is that no one knows politically what I am recognized as. I'm an American. And when people want to know what side of the aisle or what I'm an American, and that is how I define myself. And as an American, when I worked in cities because of my business that had an 82-year-old grandmother sitting on the porch with her 16-year-old great-grandson talking about history and life and enjoying it, and they couldn't sit there protected and were shot and killed, and yet America wants to go to a third nation country and be concerned with the mayor to protect their citizens when we can't protect our citizens in this country or even make an effort? That concerns me. It's the, almost what this whole election is about this year. One or the other. Is what the we're answer get. lies within your question. Why is America concerned about some third world poop hole? Mm-hmm. Because they can be. Because with the Strong City Initiative, the UN is now looking over our cities. Our well, main. thank you, Bill. I was wondering, but it all makes sense now. It's You're right. right. To me, it's a very obvious reason. It's very, very obvious why the UN is taking interest in a local American metropolises. Because if you go back, Bilderberg, Club of Rome, talk about the Rockefellers, talk about Soros's, these type of people who fund primarily along with the U.S. taxpayer. Of course, they're going to take an interest in local American metropolises because, you know, we don't have a democracy. We have a citizen republic and we function. There's federal, state, and local. If you can cut the head off the snake at a local level and you don't even have to deal with the federal, if you can buy out all these judges, which we're seeing right now with a lot of the arson going on all over the West Coast, there's so many reports of people setting fire. That's not arson. That's global warming. There's so many people helping the cause of global warming that are being arrested and then just let go. You know, the the case in point, this kid in Kenosha. Any person with a level, fair, balanced mind can see that this kid was in self-defense mode. You can't shoot someone for trying to burn you with a Molotov cocktail. Apparently not. That's not, definitely not defined as your life being in imminent danger. Listen. I'm just here to correct you. That's all. That's what I'm here for. You're doing a heck of a job. I just want to make sure that everyone understands. I know. This is what we're going to do. We're going to put a comma here. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you subscribe. Flooding, Flawedcast, CLE. Apple, Spotify, YouTube. We're currently on those platforms. We're currently on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Parlor, Gab. Want to thank you guys for listening. Get ready to part two because we got so much information. Carl's Carl's sticking around for this. Thank him for being here. He has a lot more he's going to contribute to this next one. So hold your horses. We're coming right back. More info. We're going to tie this all together, put all the loose ends, and get you where we need to go and get in the arena. Get in the arena.